Hey, can we talk about daddy issues for a minute? Before I go into this, I'll likely um, have to do a part two if I don't complete this, or this will be a short recording. Uh, I am driving, so forgive any noise you may hear in the background because I'm almost to my house. Anyhow, like many women, I grew up with my fair share of daddy issues. And one of the things I often tell women, because a lot of times when a woman when a woman's father wasn't present in her life, you know, a lot of women, they sit back and they'll look at women who had present fathers, and they'll be like, oh, you know, you had your daddy, you had this and you had that. And I have to get people to understand, like, hey, just because somebody's daddy was present doesn't mean that, one, he was emotionally, mentally present. It doesn't mean that he was healthy. And also, it doesn't mean that they didn't deal with their fair share of toxicity. And all I honestly, I think that it would be better for some children if their fathers were not present. Now, I'm not going to say 1,000% that that was the case with me. I will say that I've had my fair share of daddy issues. One of the stories you likely heard me talk about is when my mom and dad started going through a divorce. Now, all the way up until that moment, you know, I had a fairly standard relationship with my dad. It wasn't, you know, something, it wasn't bad, nor was it something to write home about. And maybe it was because I was a teenager, you know. Uh, right before him and my mom started going through a divorce, I was a teenager. When I was a kid, he was an amazing dad. He was an immaculate dad. When I was leaning to him, this is one of the things that I've learned, is that some people don't know how to have relationships with folks that don't require or don't lean on them, don't need them. I've learned this. When I say this, I am not kidding. This is a, a great deal of guys, a great deal of men don't know how to have relationships with women who don't need them, women who are relatively independent, not realizing that those are going to probably be some of the best, most sound women that you can come in contact with. However, 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 you got to show her where she needs you, right? You have to create a need or you have to find a need in her life, and you have to be there consistently because the mo- the moment you drop the ball, that's when she's going to pick it up and say, see, I'm going to get it done whereas I can't trust you to get it done or what have you. So going into that, that's what I think kind of that shifted my dad and my relationship where uh, when I went from being that, you know, little girl, his little girl that was, you know, relatively needy, daddy, 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 uh, to all of a sudden becoming a young lady that was relatively independent of him or being a teenager that was, you know, somewhat rebelling. I won't say that I was a big rebel, a big rebel, because at the end of the day I was scared to get my butt whooped, not by my dad, but by my mom. (laughs) But I did rebel to an extent. Um, I wouldn't even say that, honestly. I would say I asked to have boyfriends. I suck and I had boyfriends, but nothing more beyond that. So anyhow, the story you guys have likely heard me share uh, before is the story of when my dad decided that he was going to almost pimp me out for child support. (laughs) And that's what I call it. That's how it was. He was going to pimp me out for child support. What does that mean? My mom and dad had separated, and my mom immediately filed for divorce. And when she filed for divorce, my mom was very careful that she didn't talk about the dynamic of her and my dad's relationship around us. She didn't talk about, you know, the fact that they were going through I'm not going to say that she was doing everything entirely right, uh, but she was very careful, very mindful of what she said around her kids. And um, I happened to overhear her talking one day 
And when I was coming out of my room, I think I overheard her talking to one of my aunts and telling her that, you know, my dad wanted my sister and, you know, he wanted us to come live with him even though he hadn't been that present of a father even when he was living with us, um, you know, because he was always hitting the streets or what have you. But I overheard her talking about the only reason that he wanted custody of the children was because he didn't want to pay child support. And you know what? I completely and wholeheartedly agree. But I didn't think of it that at that moment. At that moment, I didn't agree. At that moment, I didn't disagree. It was just not something I really thought about. It was just something I overheard or what have you. Uh, fast forward, I spent a lot of time at my best friend's house. My dad never came over there. You know, the only time my dad had ever been over there was to drop me off, and I don't think he dropped me off a whole lot. But all of a sudden one day they come and tell me that, hey, your dad's outside. And um, I'm like, what? Yeah, your dad's outside and he wants to talk to you. And I, that that was really, really weird to me. So long story short, I get up and I go outside and I see my dad. Now, again, my mom and dad are separated at this time. They're going through a divorce. And he said, hey, baby. I said, hey, dad. I hug him. And, you know, I stand out there, um, and he starts telling me, he's like, um, you know, um, your mom, she's making it hard for me to see you guys. And he's telling me all of these different things and what have you. Then my dad tells me, you know, he said, I want you to come live with me. Um, he said, if you come live with me, I'll let you have boyfriends. Now, mind you, my dad had given me hell. <laughs> my my dad had given me hell about me having a boyfriend. Like, it was this big old fight in our house. And I think I got I got the opportunity to start talking to boys at 14, but I wasn't allowed to have boyfriends or to go out with guys and stuff like that. So my dad tells me, you know, he's standing there, and he tells me, I'll let you have a boyfriend. Again, I'm 15 or 16 years old. I'm pretty sure I was 15. Um, I'll let you have boyfriends. I'll let you have a boyfriend. And um, he said, I'll even let you stay the night with him. And I'm like, uh, what? Wait, wait, what? And I'm going to be honest, that was traumatic. It it wasn't traumatic in that moment. It wasn't until I settled down and thought about it. But I'm going to be honest with you. For the first few days, it wasn't traumatic. It was exciting. I'm like, it was weird, but it was exciting because I'm thinking to myself, oh, dang, I get to go stay the night with a dude, a whole dude, or what have you. So I was freshly out of a relationship. I had to probably be 16. I was freshly out of a relationship with this guy I had dated for two years, and we never had sex, by the way. But um, And the guy was still a virgin. But, we, you know, I, I was freshly out of a relationship with him, and he was a Jehovah's Witness. His family was a Jehovah's Witness and what have you. And, well, I won't say I was freshly. Me and him had broken up several months prior. We had broken up like maybe six months prior to that. But we were still in communication. We still talked over the phone or what have you. But I was fresh out of a relationship with this other dude that was nowhere near a virgin. <laughs> this other dude that was nowhere near a virgin, he come from a broken home. Or, you know, his mom was always out there partying or what have you. So he was, it, it was just a mess. So anyhow. I give the first guy a call, you know, the guy that uh, I had been broken up with um, for like six months. I give him a call. No, my dad tells me, okay, basically I can test it out that weekend. He said, you come to my house this weekend. I, I was like, so I can stay with the night with a dude. Then he was like, yeah, you know, just don't tell your mom, all that. And I'm like, okay, cool. So um, that weekend, me, I think my brother was already living with my dad. Uh, but I go over to my dad's house. And he lived right around the corner, like he was living in the in the heart of the hood. And both of these guys, they didn't live too, too far uh, from where my dad was living. So I called the first guy. We'll call him Jason. I called Jason up on the phone, 
And, you know, because like I said, we were still pretty cool with each other. We still talked over the phone or what have you. So I called Jason up over the phone. I'm talking to Jason, and I said, my dad said, and I asked him if he could come over. No, I didn't. He said, he was like, I'm going to come over there. And I was like, okay, cool. So um, he came over. I went and sat in his car. And I'm sitting out in the car and talking to him and what have you. And then I told him, I said, my dad said that I can stay the night with a dude. And he was like, he started looking, you know, because, like I said, the dude was virgin. He started looking bewildered. His family was a Jehovah's Witness. He started looking bewildered and what have you. Um, and he was like, yeah, you know, basically let me know he wasn't going to be able to do it. And I'm like, crap, because I'm determined. I'm determined. Somebody, I'm spending the night with somebody. Now, the other guy, I had just broken it off with him probably about a month or two prior. We had been sexually active. We had been dating for uh, we dated for quite some time. I won't. I can't say how long, but we dated maybe four or five months. But we dated and we were sexually active, but we broke up because he, you know, tried to cheat or what have you. So, long story short, I wanted nothing to do with him, even though he was very active uh, with my family. And what I mean by active, I met him through my brother, and uh, so he was still, you know friends with my brother, they were still hanging out. Matter of fact, my brother used to live with them. My brother lived with him and his uh, his mother and his siblings on and off, and he was just, you know, still a fixture in my life. He was still kind of popping up at our house or what have you. So I was, I had a different type of relationship with him than I did with Jason, and we'll call this particular guy, um, we'll call him Tyrone. No, I don't want to call him. We'll call him. We'll call him Jerome. We'll call him Jerome. So I had a different type of relationship with Jerome than I had with Jason. With Jason, we were cool. We were friends. We would just get on the phone. He still got on my nerves. He was still saying funny stuff and acting out and what have you. But when it came down to Jerome. Jerome and my relationship with me being a little bit feisty towards him because, you know, of the fact that, you know, one, he had cheated, and two, he kept trying to get back with me. So it was me basically just kind of defending my soul, saying, yeah, I'm not getting back with you. I didn't mind being cool with him, but I just wanted it to go out of his head that we would have anything uh, else other than us being cool. Anyhow. For whatever reason, when Jason turned me down in that car, and I won't even say he blatantly turned me down. He just, I could tell by the look on his face and or what have you. He was, he was a virgin. He was scared. And I don't even want to say he was scared. Maybe he was, you know, mindful. He wanted to kind of preserve himself or something, you know, not, not to do something so casual. My little hot tail, I wanted, I didn't care. <laughs> so I ended up, um, I didn't have anybody else to call, but I was determined to give this body away. I was determined to have sex with somebody because I had, you know, the idea that I could do it all night long. That was, I could play a wife. That was, you know, besides me or whatever. It was, it was exciting for me. So anyhow, I ended up calling Jerome on the phone. And uh, he was like, he said, hey, what's up? And I was like, nothing. Well, hey, he said, what you doing? I'm like, I'm good. And I, I don't even think I called him. He could have called. I don't know. Either way, we end up on the phone. And I told him, I said, um, at my dad's house, and he was like, he was like, for real? I was like, yeah. He was like, all right, I'm going to swing through there. I was like, okay. I said, my dad said I can stay the night with the guy. And he was like, I'm on my way. 
And I thought that even to this day, I think it was the most hilarious response. Like there was no question. There was no nothing. He was like, I'm on my way. So my brother, he overheard everything. He overheard what my dad said. I guess I must have said it around him. I don't know. But I ended up, Jerome comes over, and I go get in a car with Jerome. I go sit in his car with him, and he's talking and what have you. He's like, so. And he was all, he, it was funny, he had this really low voice, but he would always cough. He would, so you can say tonight with a guy. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and he was like, all right. He was like, bet, so you want to come stay? I was like, yeah. Let's go. So I go in the house. I tell my dad, hey, I'm staying tonight with Jerome. He was like, all right, just be careful. I said, okay. So I go into the house. Um, I get my stuff, and then I go over to Jerome's house. If you heard the story before, immediately as soon as we get into the house, um, he we go into the bedroom or what have you. We're kissing. Then he comes out. I'm not going to give you a visual, but uh, by the time he come back in there, I had stripped down. I, I was up in there. I'm like, I'm ready or what have you. But I, I think for me, I was in a rush. But he, you know, he he figured, hey, I can take my time. So he got candles and everything. My tail is like, listen, let's let's go. <laughs> uh, but long story short, um, my brother, when nothing happened. I'll say that much. Nothing happened because Jerome was wanting to take his time, and he lit some candles or what have you. And even when we were on the bed, he wanted to lay there and kiss. And I'm, my brain was like, hey, let's do this. And then my brother starts knocking on the door. He beats on the door for a while, and then he beats on the window. And I'm telling Jerome, hey, ignore him. <laughs> All I can hear is my brother screaming, I'm going to tell mama. I'm going to tell mama. I'm going to tell And I'm telling Jerome, ignore him. Ignore him. He'll go away. Just ignore him. I, I don't know why I was so determined to do to do, but um, Jerome didn't. He was like, I can't. And I'm like, dude, come on. Get, what is wrong with you? And so long story short, he got up. We put on our clothes. He let my brother in, and then eventually we had to go back to my dad's house with my brother in the back seat of the car. <laughs> with my brother in the back seat of the car. It wasn't until now my brother did tell my mother, like you said he was, my mom went off on my dad. She was, you know, from that point on, she didn't want me to go over there, understandably so. Um, but one of the things that I remember was not long after that, it set in. It set in. Like, it literally set in. And it dawned on me, girl, your daddy was willing to let you go out here and be buck wild. Like, he literally watched you get in the car with two different dudes trying to find somebody to give it up to, trying to find somebody to have sex with. And I don't like to say give it up because I don't like people to refer to their body parts as it. It just sounds so casual. But trying to find somebody to have sex with. Like, you are literally, you got out of one dude's car. Your dad knew you were going to sit in this guy's car to offer him sex, <laughs> to offer him sex. To offer to deflower that guy to take his virginity away. And when that didn't work, you called your former thought. <laughs> you called a guy you knew weren't going to say no. And you were ready to go and do something that you weren't supposed to. As frustrated as I was with my brother, I am grateful that he intervened because there's no telling what could have happened. I probably would have a child uh, right now. Because we had all night, we had all night, you know, to, to do what we wanted to do without there being any type of interference or interruption, or so we thought. Obviously, I was off on that. 
But when it's set in, and I'm going to likely have to do a part two because i got to get in this house. Okay, part two, and I am getting out of my car, so you're going to hear a little bit of noise. But when it started to set in, that pain, I can honestly say, was agonizing. It wasn't just a normal type of pain. It was agonizing. First, I saw my mom being really, really, really angry. And at first, I didn't understand why it was such a big deal. But then it started dawning on me. It started setting in with me that, hey, all this for child support. And maybe I, I could have heard my dad, my mom say, you know, something. But it was all about child support. It was all because my dad didn't want to pay her uh, child support. And the crazy part was my dad wasn't working or if he was working, it was probably a low end job. So he wouldn't have been paying any more than like 20 or 30 dollars a month, if that, for all three of his kids. Like he literally couldn't afford to pay anything more than that. So to think that my dad was willing, sorry guys, uh, to think that my dad was willing to put me in that predicament for that little taste of money. When I say when it set in, it genuinely, it set in and it set in hard. And I just remember feeling angry with my dad. First, I felt hurt, you know, and those are the stages of grief. And I've experienced that. Um, I've learned that, you know, the, 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 there are what, five stages of grief, I think. I've learned that we experience them in almost every relational dynamic. Uh, most of the times we do it unknowingly. So the first stage of grief, I think, is uh, bargaining, bargaining. And I was bargaining with myself. I was trying to reason with myself like, no, dad, daddy didn't do that. It wasn't as bad as it looked. But then when I kept thinking about it, your daddy doesn't want any man touching you. Your daddy has made made it a point i'm talking about we've had wars in our house about the fact that he didn't want me talking to a guy we have thought about that we i've had to get my mom involved many times we've had i don't want to say shouting matches but close to shouting matches about it um you know because i wanted to date and my dad wouldn't let me date and then all of a sudden daddy's not only willing to let me date but he's willing to let me go screw whoever I want to screw. And his only words were, be careful. <laughs> be careful. Fast forward. There were a lot of things that my dad, a lot of mistakes that my dad made over the course of my life. A lot of them. Um, and they were incredibly traumatic. Fast forward to now. I was thinking about this um, before I left the house. I was looking at some of the relational dynamics that I found myself in. I'm not talking about relationships with guys. That can be included as well. But I'm thinking about relationships in general. The type of relationships I've hosted over the course of my life. Uh, because fast forward to now, the type of relationship that I have with my dad is not a healthy one. It's not toxic to the point where we're yelling or screaming or anything like that. Whenever we do talk on the phone, we are cordial. But... I talked to my dad maybe like once or twice a year. And I was telling my brother about this recently. One of the issues that I found with my dad, I talked about when my dad was in prison. When he got out of prison, me and him, we had this really good relationship. He was talking about Jesus. I'm talking Jesus. And I thought, oh, good. You know, now I got a family member that I can relate to. I thought, oh, good. You know, this is what I've always wanted. I always wanted to have that family member that I can talk to talk to about the Lord. And, you know, it makes it even better that this is my dad. He's turning a new leaf. I was truly excited about building a relationship with my father. Well, 
what ended up happening was my dad, he was in a shelter in Mississippi. And I was telling my brother about this the other day, about that moment that shifted my relationship with my dad. I was, I used to do these daddy daughter date with the Lord. And I was, what was I? I had just went out to eat. So it was a Saturday. Every weekend I would do a daddy daughter date with the Lord. So it was a Saturday. I'd gone out to eat probably, what restaurant did I used to love to go to when I was there? I don't know. But anyhow, I had gone out to eat. I had had the time of my life. I remember being in my car thinking about how amazing that day had been. At that time, I was either divorced or going through a divorce. And I was finally at a place of peace. I was finally at a place of solitude. I'm in my car. I got my music up <laughs> and I'm driving. I got bags in the back seat because during my father-daughter dates, what I would do every Saturday, I would have a father-daughter date with the Lord. And after that, I would, trying to not to lose my train of thought because I'm looking at this food, but after my daddy-daughter date with the Lord, I would go to the store. I would go grocery shopping. And then I would also go buy something for myself. That was something that the Lord laid on my heart. He said, I want you to buy something for yourself. Even if it's something as little as, you know, just a fingernail polish or what have you. Because God was building my relationship with him. And he was helping me to come to learn, my, to, learn to love myself as well. So long story short, um, in the car. I got groceries. Dude, it's okay. Sorry, guys. No. I got groceries in the back seat. And with those groceries, I got something. Whatever I bought for myself. Music on. I'm thinking about the amazing day that I had. I'm th- Sorry, guys. My dog sees people outside. I'm thinking about the amazing day that I just had. I'm in the car enjoying myself on my way home, ready to relax, when all of a sudden I get a call from my dad. Now, at this particular time, my dad and I had started talking every day on the phone. And um, all of a sudden, we had fallen off. We had fallen off because my dad was in a shelter and he had tried tried on a couple of occasions to get me to do free work for that shelter. He wanted me to do a logo for the shelter. um, And I told him they had to pay me. He's like, hey, you know, it's a shelter. I want to show my appreciation to them. I'm like, I get it. But, you know, my my only issue with that is I work with uh, ministries and a lot of them have shelters or what have you. And uh, two, they had him working full time or what have you. So, like I told him, I was like, I don't want you his issue of feeling like he needs to pay, you know, like he needs to prove himself to them. I don't want that issue to trickle over into my stuff. Um, what have you. So I kept telling him, no, no, I don't even know it was a logo, but I remember the website. He wanted a website for me, you know, for the, for the ministry. And I told him, I said, um, that's a bit much, you know, they would have to pay me for that. And so he was like, Hey, well, show me how to design websites. And I, I sent him a magazine in the mail. All right. Gotta wash your hands of mine, but I sent him a magazine in the mail. Oh, what happened? Long story short, every time I would tell him, no, he would disappear from my life every time. It was like I went straight on punishment. He would disappear. Now, we go from talking every single day on the phone, and we're having an amazing father-daughter relationship, to all of a sudden, I hear him on the phone, and he starts sounding kind of dry. You know, I, I, I see the, 
the the tone all of a sudden this kind of goes down and then he you know he just gets off the phone because i'm sitting here saying no they have to pay me no they have to pay me it's not a you love money thing it's just hey i don't want to be responsible for doing all of their work when they're getting money in from the government they were getting tons of money in from the government plus i work with ministries who have the same dynamic and that's what i was trying to explain to my dad long story short he goes away then he resurfaces and we start talking again and i think okay cool looks like dad wants to build a relationship maybe he's repentant maybe he's realized the error of his ways i don't know um and i'm thinking okay cool you know everything is going to work out or what have you so he started calling me again but it wasn't as frequent i think he was calling me like every other day every few days but whenever we did talk the relationship the conversations were good and then all of a sudden he gives me a call i'm in the car i got all my groceries in the back seat i had just came from eating out everything is immaculate everything is amazing and um he asked me for money i'm gonna come back and talk about that i need to eat my food i'll be back after i eat Okay, finished eating, and you know what? They forgot to give me my candy cookie. I don't need it anyhow, but I was a little bit disappointed, but that's neither here nor there. I'm about to head outside with my dog. But getting back into the story, I was in my car. I was super excited. I had an amazing day out. I think the thing that I was most excited about was that I was finally at a place of acceptance. I was finally at a place of, you know, peace, and life was starting to make a turn you know, for the better. And just to kind of rewind before that moment, my dad had asked me for money on several occasions. It was always $50 always. And it had gotten to the point where it had become like a, a thing where I felt like I was paying daddy support. Honestly, I felt like every month, um, he would ask me for money and I understood that he was not in the best predicament. However, it made me feel used. It made me feel like, okay, the only reason that he is, you know, being so active and uh, caring and loving in my life was because I, you know, he could call me up and ask for money. And every time he would always ask for, it, he would always ask to borrow money. And it was frustrating because again, I was going through a divorce. I wasn't in the best place financially. I was in an okay place, but at the same time, you know, I was now down to one income. So he would always ask me for $50 and he would always say, you know, daddy good for it. Daddy going to give it back to you. And I would always feel obligated to say, hey, don't worry about it. You know, I would never require him to give it back. So he got used to that. He got used to asking for money and not having to pay it back. He would say, you sure? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm not going to make you give the money back. And all that, that became the norm. So I had now was in this place where. I'm feeling not so good about him because, like I said, most of our conversation, a lot of our conversations involved him wanting me to do work for the ministry or want some money. Um, it was never just really, hey, how you doing? How you feeling? How are you navigating this space of life, this space, this season of yours? Uh, what are you doing? You know, is there anything I could do to make you feel better? It was never none of that. It was we talked about Jesus. And then next thing you know, we started talking about whatever he felt like he needed. Long story short, here I am in the car that particular day. And while I'm in the car, my dad goes to talking about, uh, well, he calls me up. And I hadn't heard from him in a few days. 
at this space of time again, we had just started talking again and we were talking every few days. So I answered my phone and I remember feeling like, Tiff, I don't know if you want to answer that, that call. Nevertheless, I went ahead and answered it. I remember being at a stoplight. I answered the phone and um, I'm like two minutes away from my apartment. When I answered the phone, my, I hear my, he said, hey, baby. I said, hey, dad, how you doing? He said, I'm fine. He said, baby, I need a favor. And I literally remember the life being sucked out of my car at that moment. Like that joy, it went out the window. That, 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 that excitement that I was feeling, it went out the window. All of those positive feelings that I had been experiencing, all of a sudden, they started going out the window. He said, there's this guy, he's selling a computer, uh, a laptop computer. He came up to the shelter. And, you know, I've been telling you about these books and all this stuff that God has given me to write. And, baby, this was, this, you know, $50 for a computer. You're not going to find that deal anywhere else. You know, I, I just I want to get the computer, what have you. I got them on standby. Can you can you send me 50? And, you know, daddy will give it back. Now, mind you, again, daddy never gave me any of my money back because I, I would always, you know, come back after I sent him the money I would always come back with um no you don't have to pay me back in that moment it cut me I'm not gonna lie that cut me it cut me deep it cut me deep it cut me deep um because here it was I was trying to have a relationship with my dad but it seemed like I almost felt like I was having to pay for his love I was having to pay to have a relationship with him and at the same time, I did not want to go back to the store. I was drained from the store. I was excited about going home. I'm, a, I'm an introvert. I was excited about the idea of going to my house and I can just spend time in my house. You know, I can navigate whatever I purchased and what have you. Thinking, because at that time, Cash App wasn't out. Thinking about sending my dad money. I having to go back to Western Union. It was tormenting. And I suddenly got this idea because I didn't want to go back to Western Union. I got this idea to um, transfer the money to my account now card because he had an account now card that I had, you know, pressured. Well, not pressured. I had um, suggested that he get since I had, you know, sending him so much money, I was like, it'd be a lot easier because then I can transfer from account now. Like that was the cash app of that moment. I can transfer directly from account now to account now, what have you. So I'm on the phone and I tell him, all right. And he was like, daddy's going to give it back. Okay. I said, okay. He was like, all right. Daddy love you. He gets off the phone. I get home. I send the money. I'm having trouble sending the money. I remember it was a lot of issues. I don't remember everything that happened, but it was a lot of stuff going on. I had to keep calling the count now. It was a lot of mess. Uh, finally, I got the... No, it wasn't a count now. It was NetSpan. It was NetSpan. Uh, but I finally got the money to transfer to the card. And um, I called him or texted him, let him know the money was sent. He's like, uh, you know, baby, daddy love you. Daddy appreciative. And, you know, daddy's going to give it back. Usually that's my cue. That's my cue. Normally when daddy says, so I was on the phone with him. Normally when he says that, I would always say, you know, I'm not going to make you pay me back. Always. I would always follow up with that. I didn't follow up with those words because the Lord told me not to. The Lord laid it on my heart. He said, this time, make him pay you back. So he said, you know, um, daddy's going to, you know, first of the month, as soon as I get my check, daddy's going to send you the money back. And I said, okay. And when I said, okay, 
it shifted. Like our conversation shifted. I heard a shift in his voice. I heard a change in his voice. So, you know, he st- he kept talking and I'm saying, you know, something, I'm saying whatever I need to say. Um, but he, he just kept going back there. So it went from, you know, daddy's going to give it back to as soon as I get it on the first, I'll give you your money back. Now, mind you, I'm not saying anything negative on the phone. I'm still being my normal self. But he picks up the fact that I'm not saying, oh, no, you don't have to pay it back. So um, what ends up happening is he um, doesn't call me for a couple of days. When he does call me, you know, which was our standard, he does call me. He's talking. Everything sounds good. And then he would go back to, um, and I haven't forgot you, daddy going to give your money back on the first. And I would just follow up with, okay. And every time I would follow it up with, okay, he would like, he would just kind of get drained. Like he just didn't have that joy anymore. So finally, um, finally he stopped calling me. Like it went from every few days. So I didn't hear from him until it was like, uh, a day or two before he's supposed to send me the money back. And, um, sorry guys, I'm coming out my door. I'm hoping the kids doesn't, but these packages, <laughs> but then he reaches out to me when the time comes for, you know, a couple of days before. And he was like, daddy hasn't forgot you or what happened. Now I will give him this. He cared about our relationship enough to to actually follow through with giving me my money back. He cared about it enough because, you know, there are guys out there, there are fathers out there who would be like, I ain't giving her nothing back. I get on the phone with him maybe the day before um, he's supposed to send the money back. And he's like, you know, um, I get my, my check supposed to come in. And, you know, now I got this situation. So he starts making excuses. You know, I can tell he's hoping that I'm going to change my tone and say, hey, no, don't worry about it. But I didn't. And the reason I didn't change my tone was because God laid that on my heart. He said, get that money back. In other words, the Lord was saying, don't create that dynamic. I want you to hear me when I say this. A lot of times we create the monsters that we complain about. I have been guilty of that. I have been hugely guilty of that by trying to come into people's lives and being this blessing. And I'm I'm in my 40s now, and I've just gotten to the point where I realized wholeheartedly that honestly, most people cannot handle a blessing. I'm being honest when I say that. I've learned that most people cannot handle people blessing them. Blessing them like when it's the same dynamic when it comes to like, let's say if I won the lottery and I sit up there and I come in contact with um, a young lady or I, I, I reach out to, let's say my sister, my little sister. If I reach out to my little sister, if I won the lottery and I said to my little sister, if I said, hey, girl, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to buy you a house. I'm going to get you a car. I'm going to get you this and I'm going to get you that. She can't handle that. Because her soul was not designed for that. Now, she'll be happy. She'll be excited. But her soul was not designed for that. So what she'll do is she'll get into that house and she'll be like, oh, this is so nice. This, this, this. is." But then she'll say, but you know what? I need this. I need new furniture. I need this. I need that. Her soul can handle that. So I would have to come back and I would have to pay for her furniture. 
I would have to pay her bills on the first. She'd be like, oh, I never had no bills like this before. You know, because her bills will likely be um, three, four, five times as much as they are now. In other words, I would create a monster because in that moment, you know, it, our relationship would shift from me being her sister to me being her welfare system. Our relationship would shift from me being her sister to me being her giver. Consequently, the moment I put up a boundary, I could easily get myself killed. A lot of people don't realize this. Why a lot of people get killed when they win the lottery. Because before God enriches you, he gives you wisdom. He allows you to see what people can handle. And I'm not lying. I know God is taking me to a place of wealth because he's showing me, he's teaching me, and he's been teaching me this for years, that most people cannot handle being blessed. They just can't. They can, they, I'm not saying that you can't be a blessing. I'm saying that if, you, if you're blessing a person repeatedly, a lot of times they can't handle that. Because when they, it, they start feeling entitled, they start feeling like, okay, you're supposed to do that. And then the moment you don't do that, they're going to get upset with you or what have you. And it can become dangerous, especially when, you know, when it comes to money and stuff like that. <clears throat> Even when it comes to your body, you know, what you're supposed to do is wait till you get married or to have sex or what have you. But if you're sitting there having sex with a dude, you can easily create the dynamic where he feels like he's entitled to your body. I immediately, I know I'm kind of deviated, but just thoughts coming through. I immediately think about when I was going through a divorce back in 2006 or 2007. I was going through a divorce. I was a babe in Christ at the time. And there I was in the midst of going through a divorce when um, I started dating this guy. And mind you, me and my ex had been separated at this particular time, like six months seven eight months i don't know how long we were been, we had been like we were it was over over and um i met this guy and we started talking now i had it in my head that i'm gonna be abstinent i want to do things good i want to th do things the right way i want to do things god's way it didn't dawn on me or maybe it did but i was so immature that i was able to ration um my way out or reason my way out of sound logic it didn't dawn on me tiffany you're not fully divorced you're not supposed to be dating anybody so anytime i had to deal with that type of thought i would always override it with a with a fact and in this particular case i was just like he got him a girl and you know that's the reason we broke up and now he with his girl why well, i gotta wait why well, i have to wait you know i'm not doing nothing with this dude we're just dating we're just talking we're happy so this guy would come over to my house uh, I won't say every day, but he would come over there pretty frequently. He would get off work about 5 or 6 o'clock, and he would call me. I think it was like 6 o'clock. He would call me, you know, occasionally. He'll say, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, nothing. He's like, hey, I want to come over there. And whenever he let me know that he was going to come, I would go back into wife mode. I would go into the kitchen, and I would cook. So that way when he arose, you know, because this is Mississippi. Mississippi, man, you, you, you better feed them, okay? Uh -huh. So whenever he would pull up, what I would do was I would um, make sure that I had food ready or what have you. I would ask him what movie he wanted to watch. We would sit on this big old long sectional couch that I had and we'd watch a movie. At this time, I was trying to do the abstinence thing. So I was really proud of myself. This went on for quite some time. You know, whenever, um, because at first, of course, obviously, he, I didn't immediately start letting this dude stay at my house. We talked for some time. Before I felt comfortable inviting him to my house. And then when he, you know, he was coming over, 
Um, because I had this huge sectional couch. And when I say huge, it was a huge sectional couch. I would allow him to sit on one end and I would sit on the other end whenever he came over. He would fall asleep. We would both fall asleep watching television because what I would do is it was a standard in my house. You know, I would cook. Uh, we would watch a movie. Most of the time it was a scary movie because I think that was his thing. And while, you know, watching a scary movie, you would have the lights off in the living room. It would be pitch dark in the living room besides the light from the television. And, of course, you know, if you just got through eating and you happen to be sitting on a couch, you're going to get sleepy. So he would lay down on that end of the couch. I lay down on the other end of the couch. And we both fall asleep. I thought that was the most adorable thing. And long story short, uh, what ended up happening was one particular day, you know, after a month or a couple of months of doing that, I was feeling a little too secure. I started feeling like, you know what? I got this abstinence thing down packed. You know, I'm starting to feel a little bit secure, not realizing I'm not using wisdom. And we were watching a scary movie. And he looked over at me from the other end of the couch. And I had my cover, which was my standard. And I'm pulling it up to my nose during that covering my face. I'm putting my face under the cover. I've never been a scary movie person. And he looks at me and he says, he said, you know, sometimes, Tiffany, I just want to hold you. It was something to the, the effect of that. I just want to hold you. I just want to protect you. Um, I understand that you're a woman of God and you don't believe in sex outside of marriage. He said, I'm a man of God as well. He said, but, you know, sometimes I just want to wrap my arms around you. I just want to hold you. I just want. And, of course, me being a woman that has never experienced the protection of a father. Father, this is daddy issues, right? Uh, never experienced the protection of a father. A man telling me he wanted to protect me was foreplay. That that was it. That was. But at the time, I wasn't thinking sex. To be honest with you, I wasn't thinking sex. Even though the words themselves, I didn't realize how, just how much they impacted me. So long story short, I get my happy fast tail up. Um, he was like, I just want you to come down here so I can wrap my arms around you and I can hold you. I get my fast tail up and I go down there and I sit beside him. And we both go under the cover, you know, he, and he wraps his arms around me and we proceed to try to watch the movie. But as I've told this story before, I couldn't focus on the movie because I had never allowed myself to be that close to him. I couldn't focus on a movie because I am a touch person that I have to, I have to avoid touch in a relationship that touch and you got to know yourself touch. No, 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 no. It was the body heat for me. <laughs> it was the cologne for me and it was the feeling of safety that did it in for me. So I couldn't focus on the movie anymore. Um, all of a sudden, my attention shifted to how good it felt to have his arms wrapped and even like, dang, what cologne is this? Because goodness gracious. And long story short, um, I leaned on him trying to watch the movie, but my mind was not there. And then he leaned over and kissed my forehead. And my abstinence, I always jokingly say it this way, my abstinence went out the window like a bird it was was gone because from that moment i looked at him and he looked at me we get that r kelly song over here and that's when the kissing started and that's where yeah he didn't have to make a move on me i was ready i was like forget this you know so i'm saying that to say what ended up happening was after the deeds done i felt guilty I felt, oh, crap, you know, because I had a relationship with God. I was just a babe in Christ. I felt, oh, crap, I can't believe I just did this. I literally just gave up 
five months of abstinence or yeah, it was five months because me and my ex had been separated five months because I remember uh, being proud of the fact I had been that had been the longest time I had ever gone without sex. And I was like, I've gone five months uh, without sex. And I was really proud of that. And now here it was, I had given it up just like that. So I tell him, I'm sorry, that was a mistake. He's apologetic. He's like, I'm sorry. I, you know, I, I, you know, I understand this. I said, we can't do that anymore. He said, I agree. You know, I respect that or what have you. And I thought he was going to respect that. It was a lie. It was a lie. Is I got a point that I'm making, guys. So just stick stick it out with me, okay? Um, after he leaves, you know, we go back to our standard. He calls me. Uh, one day he's getting off work. He's like, "Hey, you want company?" I'm like, "Yeah, come on." He gets over here. We um, I'm going to the kitchen to bring the food. Um, and I hope I'm remembering this right, but I I remember an incident like that, or I think I remember it. Um, I'm going to the kitchen to get the food. He stops me, wraps his arm around me. And the next thing you know, there goes the absence again ah! <laughs> out the window. Then we go back to this. Oh my gosh, that was wrong. That shouldn't have happened. And he's like, I'm so sorry. I respect. So long story short, fast forward, we end up having sex four times. We end up having sex four times. It got to the point where this is when I knew that I had to stop because it got to the point where he came over to my house one day after I had said, you can no longer come to my house. I said, because honestly, obviously we don't know how to be alone together and what have you. This was the third, this, after the second time, I'm like, you can't come to my house no more, you know, because I'm tired of repenting. I'm tired of feeling like crap or what have you. And he, he was like, you know, he tried to talk me out of it. Then he said, okay, I understand. And then one night I, I get a knock on the door and I open the door. I mean, I look out the little glass panel and it's him. I open the door and I'm trying to talk to him and obviously he's not listening. He comes in and start kissing me. Then next thing you know, here it goes again. Ah, abstinence out the window. It's gone. <laughs> it was too much sensuality. Um, and then the fourth time, it was another incident like that where I told him, you cannot come to my house. You cannot. We cannot do this. We can't do this. And I realized I got in a little bit too comfortable when I took him up to my bedroom. The bedroom I used to share with the man I was married to. When I took him up to the bedroom, that to me honestly was like that's like the highest level of disrespect to sleep with somebody on a piece of furniture that you slept with another person on. You know, that that's just me. It's just weird. But at that moment, my flesh didn't care. At that moment, logic went out the window and um, I, I took him up to my bedroom. And from there, I realized that I wasn't going to stop. I realized that I was enjoying our sexual relationship way too much. Um, I was enjoying it way too much uh, for it to stop. So I talked to him one day over the phone and I tried to get him to understand, like, I'm serious. Like, for real, you can't come over here. This isn't good. I'm trying to do things God's way. This is what made, this is what landed me in that relationship with the, this other guy in the first place is doing things the wrong way. I'm not trying to be mean. And this is the point that I'm trying to make. Something he said on the phone made me break up with him. First, he kept saying, we're not going to do anything. This, that, this, that, and the other. You know, the same old lie he'd been telling me and trying to tell himself. And then he said, or the motive of his heart um, spilled out. When I kept drawing that boundary, I'm like, I'm serious. Like from this point on, matter of fact, that was the day he came over to my house and I did not let him in. That was the day he came over to my house. He pulled that stunt again. 
I happened to look out my window. <laughs> he was knocking. I look out the window. He looked at me. I look at him. And he's like, open the door. I'm like, nope. <laughs> I said, nope. He was like, Tiffany, open the door. I said, call me. He was like, open the door. I said, nope. And I wouldn't open the door for him. And he was taken aback by that. So we get on the phone. We talk about it. And um, while we're on the phone, I, I told him, you're not respecting my boundaries. Like, I've set boundaries or what have you. And he said, no, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to respect it. And we, we, I, 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 I believe in respect, all of this stuff. And then finally, the motive of his heart is spilled out before me. He said, um, he got quiet and he decided, I guess, to go for broke. He was like, how do you expect to start having a sexual relationship with a guy and just stop? You can't do that. He said, we already did it. He said, you know, uh, we, we enjoy each other. So how do you expect to stop? And that's what let me know. He had no intention of stopping. He had no intention. He just felt like, you know, he could just go ahead and wear my boundaries down. Like, I'll just stop fighting it. And then I'll just let it happen from that point on. And when he said that, I said, okay, I get it now. I see. And I, I ended the relationship with him. I told him I was no longer going to date him anymore. I was no longer going to talk to him anymore because I wanted to grow my relationship with God. And he was um, an enemy of that plan. Long story short, he didn't want to receive that. Um, and so we tried talking about that. And I got off the phone because I realized there was no reasoning with him. He called me a few more times. Away. So the point that I'm making in this is because I had given my body to him, he felt entitled to it. This is what this is the thing a lot of people don't understand is that the human most human beings can't handle receiving out. If I was married to that person, then my body, the Bible, according to the Bible, if you're married to a man or if you're a guy, and you're married to a woman. That person's body belongs to you. <laughs> that person's body belongs to you. Uh, but whenever you're in a relationship outside of marriage. Um, that person is still, even if they don't want you, even if they don't want to spend their life with you, even if they can't stand you, even if they're in a relationship with somebody else, they're going to feel entitled to your body. This is why I used to tell my friends not to be all, you know, not to be all flattered whenever the dudes they were messing with guys that were in relationships with other women, guys that were even married to other women, not to be all flattered when those guys showed, you know, territorial behaviors as it relates to them show, you know, who was that at your house last night? I remember telling that to a friend. I was like, that would just straight up offend me. Like how you got an old lady you going home to and you doing God knows what with her, but you got the nerves to try to monitor my life and try to keep me from having a relationship. And that's why I told him, I said, that's why I don't play that game of the other woman. Not to say I didn't play that game before, but I, that was something I realized wasn't for me. So in a gist, I'm saying that in that, whenever you're giving to somebody, what happens is they start feeling entitled to it. And that was the dynamic or that was the case with my dad was because my dad could call me up at any given time and I would give him money. He started feeling uh, he started feeling entitled to my money. He started feeling like I was supposed to give him money. He started feeling like I owed him money or what have you. And so whenever I did say no, he felt uh, genuinely offended. He felt like, how dare you tell me? No, you know, it's not something that he expressed. It's something that he demonstrated. So there was that dynamic. And so when he had to pay me that $50 back first, there was a lot of problem getting the money back to me, you know, and then, um, he gave it back the day he said he was, but when I say a lot of problem talking about 
him trying to upload it, it him having to put it in a bank it was a whole lot of stuff um and every time he called me i could tell he was waiting on me still to say don't worry about it you know given the fact that he had made it up in his mind that you got it like that this is one thing i've learned about being a person who whenever you're a blessing one of the reasons that and not saying that i was rich or that i am rich i'm looking forward to that but i'm saying when you have more than another person a lot of times they can easily start feeling like you owe them or that you're in a better position or what have you. They start feeling like you are money hungry, you're self-centered. Um, they start thinking that because they have it in their mind that it's not going to hurt you to give it to me. $50 ain't nothing for you. Not realizing, like I said, at that particular time I was going through a divorce, I had managed to save. I remember uh, probably probably between ten to $13,000. That sounds like a lot of money, but you have to consider the fact that I was accustomed to the man I was married to paying the bills one and I had been working my business and business was unpredictable. So I could have a good month and make, you know, anywhere between a thousand or three thousand dollars. And then I could have a, a, a not so good month to make a few hundred bucks. I wasn't like business was not booming. It was doing good. It, I had high and low months. Or what have you was unpredictable. So I didn't have the luxury of having a, you know, like this steady stream of income in. My dad knew that. So long story short, I made him pay me the money back. He paid me the money back. I didn't hear from him probably for after that for like six to for, how, for however long for like six months. Like I didn't hear from him. He He had nothing to do with me or what have you. And we still have that type of relationship. So now I made peace with the fact and this is one of the things that you have to understand. You have to make peace with the fact of how, how people are as opposed to trying to teach them how to be with you. You know, because for me, the thing that I've had to learn is what's common sense for me is not common sense for everybody else. And what I mean by that is to me, I think that if somebody's being nice to you and kind to you, I automatically think being nice and kind back. But that's just the blessing that I am. If a person is nice and kind and loving towards me, I literally feel like I want to be, I just want to be the best blessing I could be for them. Like if somebody is showing me love and somebody is showing me that they want me to be a part of their life outside of what I can do for them and outside of what I can give them, it makes me want to give them the world. But when a person feels like I am, I'm only as good as what I can bring to the table, then I want to withdraw myself because I never want to be seen or objectified. I never want to be seen outside of, because, and I, let me say this. The true blessing and a gift is their heart. And I think a lot of times it's hard for people to conceptualize that because they're so focused on what they can get. But the true, true blessing is the heart of the gifted person. That's the true blessing that you can get to. If you can get to that, you get to keep the blessing. If you can't get to their heart, you don't get to keep the blessing. And one of the ways I've learned, and I need you to hear me when I say this, one of the things I've noticed is that when a person is not interested in getting to know you, but they're interested in what you can do for them, what you bring to the table, a lot of times they will avoid getting to know you. They will avoid getting to know you. And I'm not saying that they won't talk on the phone with you. I'm saying that most of the time they may dominate the conversation. They may sit back and they may start talking about everything else. They never give you the opportunity to just really be expressive. And a lot of times that taming what happens, and I'm talking about old friends I've had, things I've seen in my life. But what happens is you kind of get tamed in your mind to not push forward, like in conversation, to not 
how do you say this? To not sit back and even say, hey, so this is how I feel. This is what I, okay, let me tell you a little bit of, of, about me. Because you kind of pick up the dynamic that the minute you talk about yourself, they're going to get off the phone. Tell me if I'm lying. You pick it up. The minute you start talking about yourself, if you say, okay, this is who I am or that's how I am. And I really, if they're not getting off the phone, they're either contesting or making you feel like something is wrong with you for even thinking that way. Um, and I honestly believe because I am a gift and I can, I can boldly say that because I am a gift, because I am a blessing, because I do try to have God's heart for people. Um, and when I say try, I am intentional about it, but I'm saying I'm human, right? Uh, but because I am a gift, I can recognize other gifts. I talk to gifts on the phone and they're, they're a dime a dozen. When you, when I talk to them on the phone, most gifted people uh, isolate themselves. I've learned that the most gifted of people tend to isolate themselves. Not that it's a good thing because they come to understand that most people can't handle, you know, they're, they're being in their presence. Most people can't handle it because most people start thinking about what they can get, what they can get, what they can get. But the gift and the gifted person is the heart. And every gifted person wants you to know their heart. Every gifted person wants you to un, to unpack the best part of them. And, but you know, as a gifted person, one of the things that I can genuinely say is that that's our protection. That's how God protects us. But we oftentimes get frustrated because most people are not trying to unpack our hearts. Most people are just trying to say, hey, well, <laughs> you, you, you got some money. Give it to me. You got this. Give it to me. Or what have you. And then I, I'll, I'll care for you. You know, then and it's like, no, I am much more valuable than what you see or what you've experienced with me. I am much more valuable, which is why, like I said, I broke it off with that dude. I broke it off with him because. Even though we have been talking for several months, even though, you know, we um, have been getting to know each other. You know, we spent hours on the phone. He didn't really genuinely know me because let me catch. Let me give you a little bit of something. Most gifted people. And I'm, I am literally speaking of us as a breed because I'm literally coming to I'm coming to believe and know that we are that that the humans there are different breeds of humans like there are d- different subcategories it's like and i hate to say this but it's just the example that i know it's like dogs they're different breeds and different breeds have different characteristics and traits and strengths and weaknesses i'm coming to understand that there are different breeds of people out there and the breed that i am speaking of which is the people who have the gift of charity we are a dime a dozen we are a rare gem but most of the people who get access to us don't know that. They don't know that because they're so caught up in what they can get. Rather than thinking about, hey, this is a really cool person. Let me get to know the heart of this person. And I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm laying out secrets, but I've learned even the deaf. You can still hear me, but you'll be deaf to it because it's a spiritual principle. When you come in contact with a person like that, the best part of that person is their heart. The best part of that person, because if you get their heart, everything else just flows. Everything else, they're going to want to bless you with everything they can bless you with. But most people don't know that. Most people will never know that. So going back to the whole topic of daddy issues, that right there was what changed my relationship with my father. And um, ever since then, you know, we, we're cool. You know, he'll call me up whenever he wants to call me up. Um, typically nowadays we talk maybe once or twice a year, 
And it's usually when he's in between relationships, you know, he gets in a relationship and then he just kind of dismisses me. He goes on about his business and then he resurfaces uh, whenever that relationship is over and he want to learn some spiritual principles about what type of demon he just got, got out of a relationship with. And then he'll go back in a relationship with a demonized woman or what have you. And then, you know, it's, it's a pattern. Let me tell you what I've learned to do as a gifted person, because a lot of times that stuff hurt us to the core. It's not a lot of people don't realize when you are that when you have that level of love, you have a greater level of sensitivity and um, that kind of stuff can destroy us. It is it, it's, it's too much. It is incredibly it is incredibly painful. And because it's incredibly painful, it's easy for you to come across a person like that and realize. Sorry, guys. What are you eating on the floor over there? That's not your portion. You got food over there, baby. Come here. Sorry, guys. I had to have a moment with my dog. Him eating stuff off the floor kind of makes me nervous. Uh, but when it comes to people like that, like I said, most of the time when you come in contact with a person who has that type of heart, the only thing that they want in most cases is to come in contact with people who say, hey, hey, I see you. I see you. All the other stuff that you can do, all the other stuff that you can give, all of that is irrelevant. I see you. I see you. I'm thinking about one of my sisters in Christ that I talked to um, recently, and we were talking about it. And, you know, getting to know each other and, you know, talking and she starts talking about type. And I realize she's one of those gifted. And I've noticed this dynamic about those type of people. I, I love to study people. I love to study breeds of people that this girl is relatively she's financially stable. I've noticed this about people like that is that they typically are in many cases financially stable. And if you happen to be one of those people and you're not financially stable yet, it's just because you haven't drawn the right conclusions. Once you start setting the right boundaries, money comes to you um, because that's God designed you to be a blessing. But when you don't have the right boundaries, typically you're going to be traumatized and broken and God ain't going to give, he ain't going to just pour money on top of all that brokenness because then it solidifies you in your brokenness and then you'll do the wrong thing with that money. You'll use that money to help people that have, uh, that you once helped. But talking to her, I realized that she's one of those gifts. She's one of those uh, gifted people. She's one of those people that, um, you know, she was talking about how, you know, she, backs away from people. She, she pulls away from people. And I told her, I said, yeah, I'm the same way I'm learning. And I've learned to stop doing that because I've had to learn how to go into a relationship. I've had to learn how to go into a relationship. That was my problem was that I went in with my heart open, my wallet open and saying, and I'm not talking about with men. I never went into a relationship with a man with my wallet open, but I'm talking about friendships. I've had false friends. I've had people in my life that, you know, they couldn't handle. All they saw was what they could get out of having a relationship with me. And I'm learning. I've learned and I'm still learning not to go in with that particular dynamic, because if I see a need in a person's life, a lot of times I'm like, hey, what they like, I need, I need shoes for this ball. My first thought is my first question is what size do you wear? <laughs> it's the first thing that comes out of my mouth and I'm learning not to do that. I'm learning to shut up and say, oh, okay, girl, I hear you. Um, I had to practice that on a, an old friend of mine. I'm not going to go into that. Uh, but it was the same dynamic with her. Um, she got to the point where she, every time I looked up, she wanted to borrow money from me. And, um, 
even though that was frustrating, I think the most frustrating part of that for me was when the time came for her to pay me the money back because she would borrow, like, I'm going to give it to you in two weeks and I get my paycheck. And every time the time came for her to, to give it back, I don't like asking for my money back. I just don't. Uh, I never, because it just makes things weird. I just, I prefer people to say, um, and just to say, you know, I don't loan money out these days, but I'm just saying, when I was loaning money out, I didn't, I've never liked having to ask for money back to say, hey, can you, don't forget about the money you owe me or what have you. I've always had the mentality that, okay, um, you'll just do it out of common courtesy and out of your love for me. Like, you'll just do it or what have you. And I think it was one of those cases with her. She was hoping I'd say, hey, girl, don't worry about paying it back. So she could say, oh, my God, are you sure? No, no, no. Are you sure? And then I'd be like, oh, no, what have you. But I didn't say that. Um, I think I did maybe one time. Long story short, the third time she borrowed money from me, um, I had a conversation with her. And I let her know. I said, hey, sis, I'm not loaning money to you anymore. Because at the end of the day, um, I don't want to create this dynamic in our friendship. Because I was tired of dealing with frustration and anxiety every time the time came for her to, to, to pay me back, to be on the phone with her. And she talking about, girl, I'm going to go, I'm, I'm, I'm stopping to the store to give me this. And not one mention of my money. Like you just got your paycheck and there's literally no one, not one mention. Forgive my dog. He's probably going to start barking because the neighbor is coming home. But there wouldn't be any mention of my money. And we would talk for hours and there would be no mention, told you. Uh, there would be no mention of my money. Consequently, you know, right when we we're getting off the phone, I would have to say, hey, don't forget my money because she would be talking about reckless stuff. That she, she's like, girl, I got to go get me a wig and I'm going to take my car down here. I'm going to, you know, put it in there. I want to get it detailed. I want I want to just any I want to stand. I want to the, the good detailing, you know, and I'm just sitting there looking like that's all cute and cuddly and nice and sweet and cotton candy ish. But at the end of the day, where my money at? Um, so I had to tell her that, that I wasn't going to loan her money anymore. And I said that was to protect our friendship. She wasn't too happy to hear that, but she respected it. Um, I remember she called me one day and she wanted to borrow money, but she couldn't because I had already put that, bo- that boundary there. And she starts telling me, hey, you know, um, if my phone goes off while we're talking, it's because they cut off the phone and... She tells me, and um, by the way, if, um, and she was like, and I'm just waiting on them. They're going to come cut off my lights at any moment now. So I'm going to be in the dark in the middle of the wintertime. And I'm just, everything's pulling on my heartstrings. Everything she said is pulling on my heartstrings, pulling on my wallet. But I had to be mindful and say, nope, you're not going to give it to her. And I didn't. I didn't. Um, This happened on two different occasions with me and her. On uh, the second occasion, I was actually in the market for getting a washing machine and dryer. Um, and I had, you know, we talked every day. So I'm on the phone um, and she's telling me about her situation. And I I remember mentioning, I'm over here looking at some washing machines. I'm trying to see which one I want to get. You know, what have you? then I felt bad behind it. Um, and I'm saying that to say that I realized that it's hard to be friends with people that are always in those type of dynamics because... You know, there is an expectation that many times that they will have uh, when people feel like you have more than them. Many times they feel like you owe them. And it's just something it's a part of the poverty mindset um, that has to be eradicated. But I put that boundary up and I held that boundary in place and I never gave her money again. 
obviously that relationship didn't end. It didn't end because of that. I think that that was a part. I think it was a lot of different factors, but um, I stopped putting money there. So going back to daddy issues, I look at my relational dynamics now, my relationships now, and I realized that a lot of the issues that I've had in relationships, they started in my father-daughter relationship. They started there. They started with you know, me knowing that I could not rely on my father. They started when I was 15 years old when, or 16 years old when my dad started, you know, just coming in and out of my life. They started with my dad pretty much was willing to let me do anything just so he wouldn't have to pay child support. They started there. But you know what? That doesn't mean that they have to continue. I've made every intentional effort. I don't want to say every, but I have been very intentional about making sure I address my issues as it relates to authority figures, as it relates to men. Um, Because even though I don't feel like I have issues as it relates to men, one of the things I had to be, uh, be mindful of was that just because you don't think you have issues doesn't mean that they're not there. They can be normalized for you. Because a lot of times what I tell women, you can have good intentions, but a bad heart. And a lot of times we get arrested or caught up or we focus highly on our intentions, not realizing that, hey, your heart is not in in alignment with God. Your heart is not right with God. I can honestly say that when it comes to men, I can easily discard them. And that's that's not good. I'm literally I I got a chapter in my book, um, Relational Acuity, where I I literally just finished this chapter. It was an add on. Uh, But I was talking about cleaving versus clinging. And one of the things that people who cling say, I can cut people off easily. But that was a correction for me because it helped me to understand that, you know what, you got to get you have to get back to being able to cleave. Now, you don't cleave to the wrong people, but you want to make sure you have the ability to cleave to the right folks, because whenever they come along, you don't want to have that easy that you don't want to be you don't want it to be easy for you to to cast people out of your life. You don't want it to be easy for you to discard people. Because at this particular stage in my life, one of the things I can honestly say that I do, I don't let men get close. Honestly, it's not even just a man thing. I don't let females get close to me. I just don't. I just don't let too many people get close to me. I keep everybody um on the outskirts and I get to know them from the outskirts and what have you and when they start spiraling in, a lot of times you know, I'll focus on some issue in their lives or what have you. And that's not healthy. That's not good. And that's something that I have to therapize, meaning I have to get therapy and make sure that, you know, I deal with my relational wounds so that I can have a healthy relationship with the man of God when he comes. And not just with the man of God, but a healthy relationship with the people in my life. You know, whether that be a friend, if so I can have healthy relationships with the people in my life. Because a lot of times we don't realize that, hey, those issues that, Uh, popped up when we were kids, they are still there and they are alive and well, even though you may have done the work to heal externally or to have the proper response, your heart may need to be healed. And if your heart, if you have an external response, meaning you learn to um, do the right thing, you learn to do the works. What happens is at some point, somebody going to come in contact with your heart. Because all they got to do is hurt you. All they got to do is disappoint you. All they got to do is scare you. And the content of your heart will surface. And I can genuinely say that has happened to me many times. I can genuinely say that many times I've had that where I've been ready to discard people. I'm literally there. Um, I can honestly say I have been there probably probably for um, 
some time now where I look at people and I'm like, okay, I'm ready for you to leave my life. I'm ready for you to go on about your business or what have you because you're bringing problems to me. You're bringing frustration to me. You're bringing this to me. You're bringing that to me or what have you not realizing or I do realize, but not applying what I teach. And that is sometimes when people bring frustration to you, when people, when you have people in your life and you're not necessarily, you know, happy with how the dynamic, the the dynamic of that relationship, sometimes the problem isn't that they're not supposed to be in your life. Sometimes you just have them in the wrong place in your life. Sometimes you just have them in the wrong place. And rather rather than us being willing to put them in the right proper place we would rather end the relationship or fight with the people we would rather end the relationship or fight with the people not realizing that sometimes you can have relationships they can be covenant relationships good relationships godly relationships but you call her a friend and she's a mentor or she's a mentee she's your mentor or she's your mentee either way you put the wrong label on that relationship and rather than just sitting back and saying Sis, you're a little too close. You're not mature enough to walk with me um, at this particular at this particular proximity. Like they're and of course they're gonna fight with that. What are you talking about? I am your friend. No. I told that to the the the, the old friend of mine, the one that borrowed money from me. At one point, I came to the realization that literally this girl is getting she's benefiting from this relationship. She's getting like major benefits from me. Like I'm a huge blessing in her life. And I had to ask myself, what am I getting from this friendship? A few conversations here and there in which she's pretty much dominating. And I realized, I'm like, you know what? This is not a mutually beneficial relationship. This relationship dynamic is she extracts, I give, and she tells me how great of a friend I am. She tells me how blessed she is to have me. And I'm sure she was. Yeah, of course you're blessed to have me as a friend because I'm sitting here doing friendly things. But I had to tell her one day, and this is when I had my awakening. This is where I had my moment. I said, sis, you're not my friend. You've never been a friend to me. And it caught her off guard. She was like, wait, what? And then she caught me off guard with her response. Um, I told her, I said, sis, I have literally sat on the phone with you and cried uh, times when my mom was fighting for her life and stuff. I've literally sat on the phone with you and cried. I've literally sat on the phone with you and listened to you talk about a bunch of stuff. Like, I'll tell you that the doctor said that my mom cancer is progressing, this, that, this and the other. You'll give me a quick little like rehearsed script of, you know, I understand the loss of a parent can be hard. This, that, this and the other. And, you know, God, and I'm praying for you. But anyhow, wait, girl, let me tell you about my coworker. So, girl, she comes in today. Now, I'm on the phone listening to her talk about something silly. And I'm going through my mother fighting for her life. And I get it. She had she never experienced that. But at the same time, I think that sensitivity is a part of common sense. Um, or I won't even say that. I would say a part of being empathetic. Um, and that's when I, one thing I had to realize that she did, she definitely lacked that ability to empathize with people. Long story short, when I said that to her, she said, I'm sorry for thinking that you were stronger than you are. She said, I'll be more aware of it. I'm sorry for thinking that you uh, can handle your own issues. I thought you were stronger than that. And I thought that that was the most narcissistic answer I could have ever heard in my entire life. I was like, girl, what? <laughs> what? So in that, she was admitting that our relational dynamic was one-sided. In that, she was admitting that, hey, I'm extracting from this relationship. And my justification for extracting and not giving is that I feel like you really don't need me. And that's the hard part of being the strong friend. Is that people always take it and never think for a second that you need something from them. 
Maybe it's not materialistic what you need. Sometimes all you need is, hey, you got this. Sometimes all you need is, hey, I'm praying for you. Sometimes all you need is that person to say, you're always helping me. Let me be a blessing to you. What can I do for you? Sometimes all you need is them to say, I'm picking up the tab. What you talking about? I've learned that whenever I come in contact with people like that, that um, they reciprocate. Those are the people that I consider to be friends. Those are the people that I look at and say, okay, I love this person. Like this person, I, I can put my guard down for this person uh, because this person is reciprocating. This person is showing me that he or she wants to be a part of my life and they value my presence just as much as I value their presence. And don't let somebody come into my life who overgive. Don't let somebody come in my life and they blessing me like <laughs> that person. I'm like, okay, this is a permanent fixture in my life because even though I'm a blessing, I've met an even greater blessing. That's one of the things that most of us look forward to. We want to have people in our lives that look at us and say, I see your heart, not your body, not your face, not your gift, not your money. Whatever I see you, I see your heart. That's what we look for. That's what the gift looks for. But I want to speak to the ladies real quick that have daddy issues. Please understand that you got to deal with that before you try to get in a relationship with somebody. And all I honesty, you know, I, for me, I can honestly say I haven't been in a romantic relationship in about eight years. Well, eight years. Last person I had a romantic relationship with was my ex-husband. I, I have been abstinent now because, you know, I have truly given myself over to the Lord. Uh, but just so you hear, that is something that God has to address with you. And I'm having a moment because I'm sitting here thinking about what I need to make sure that I'm dealing with in therapy, you know, but you want to take time out one to heal two to get to the space to realize that you are a gift. Me realizing that I am a gift. It made me start closing doors on relationships without opening my mouth, without opening my mouth, meaning it's just me saying no. It's just me putting up that boundary. It's just me saying yeah, I can't or what have you. And I realized by me doing that, every person in my life that doesn't see anything out who can't see my heart or who have no in, no intention or no desire to get to know me, they'll typically get offended and then they'll start moving away from me. They'll get offended and start moving away. And I'm okay with that now. The funny part is now I, I, I'm okay with that dynamic. And I'm not going to say that it hasn't hurt every once in a while, especially when you come across people that you esteem, people that you look up to, people that you think the world of, you know, and I'm learning not to do that. I'm talking to those of you who are gifted. I'm talking to those of you who may struggle with daddy issues. You got to understand that, you know, the best thing for you to do is to love people but to get to know them where they are, not how you want them to be. Because a lot of times what we do is we love who we, we love their potential. I'm going to call it out. We love, okay, I think you're going to be this amazing man of God. I think you're going to be this great friend. I think you're going to be this. And we start loving that part, that part of the person that has not materialized and that part of the person that has not uh, come to fruition yet. Um, we start pulling on a person's potential. That's the person we start loving, but we start, we keep getting hurt by the people that they really are at that moment. <laughs> you know, we get hurt because we we see futuristically. I think that many of us are apostolic in nature. We see futuristically. We see who you have the potential to become. And because of that, that's the person that we pull on. That's the person that we celebrate. That's the person that we need to support. 
But then we're constantly reminded of who you are in the moment because in that we have to deal with your whatever it is that you feel that you need to do to teach us a lesson. Um, and in, in a case like that, uh, like I said, many times what we do is we just start withdrawing ourselves and then we have to go through a divorce of sorts. And this divorce is not uh, breaking it off with you, but it's more so divorcing the belief that we had about you It's divorcing that belief. And that part, that's the part that we tend to go into in grieving and stuff like that. But that's neither here nor there. That's my little TED talk about daddy issues. I hope that you guys were blessed by it. I always try to be careful with and I'm just being transparent. With what I say, because I always think about how it can be interpreted. Um, just being transparent, just recently, I went through an episode, a spell of sorts, where I literally wanted to clean my life out. Honestly, I went through that. And I'm being transparent because I know a lot of people go through that. But I went through a, a moment where I started thinking that I literally want to do a gut job on my life. Like, I want to get rid of every person in my life. I don't want to have anybody in my life. I kind of want to start over. It's like, maybe one or two people that I want to just hold on to <laughs> uh, and just kind of do a reset on my life and just kind of shift it and, you know, what have you. But I've learned not to obey those type of thoughts and to understand that those type of thoughts indicate that not only am I shifting, but I need to go back and reevaluate my relationships with people and make sure that everybody is in their proper place. Because Somebody who is uh, close to you may not always be close to you. You have to be okay with allowing them to go. And I talk about this in my book, Relational Acuity. You got to be okay with allowing them to move from the intimate circle to the intellectual circle while people in your intellectual intellectual circle um, move into your intimate circle. But that's neither here nor there. I just talked about it. I, I love you guys and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.